please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to be finishing up, Lord willing, our study through the book of our overview through the book of Joshua this morning. And then over the next few weeks, we'll consider some other passages as we meditate upon the, the love of Christ shown to us as we think about Christmas. And then in the new year, the second week of the new year, we'll begin looking through the book of Judges and doing an overview through the book of Judges. Also want to remind you this morning that we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, and all are invited to to come to the Lord's table to receive communion who are believers who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. You don't have to be a member of Bethany Community Church to participate in the Lord's Supper with us, but we do encourage people to be uh, pursuing church membership at a, a local church as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And then as Mike mentioned, uh, there's some of you this morning who received, how many of you received one of these this morning? How many kids received? Yeah, okay. So I'm going to try to help you out this morning uh, with, with some of the notes, and maybe this will help uh, others of you who are taking notes as well. Uh, pastor Rich used to say, you know, Pastor Rich, Pastor of Bethany Baptist Church, he was my youth pastor in Texas too, he used to say, blessed are the note takers. Um, I found out in seminary, that's not in the Bible, but... Um, but it is a good principle of, of taking, uh, taking notes and being prepared to uh, understand what God's Word says. And so I'll, I'll try to help you. Um, so, for example, the, the pay, if, if you want to just take notes, there's like a little notes section there for, oh, that actually, that page you could draw pictures on. Yeah, so that, that's for spaceships and things like that. Um, and then, or if you just want to take notes, a little more freehand. And then the, the, the first page in there talks about Sunday notes for kids and the sermon lesson title. The sermon title today is Serving the Lord, so you can write that on that blank if you want to. Uh, the, the Bible passage is Joshua 24, and uh, verses 14 through 15 we're going to be looking at. In particular, past the preacher, you can just put FV, FP for favorite pastor. You'll <laughs> remember later, that's, that's Daniel. And then I don't know today's date. December 15th is today's day, too. So, so hopefully, that will, I'll try to help you as we take notes this morning, and, and this maybe will help you kind of develop this as a habit. And even if you don't get the notes perfect, it's, it's always good just to be able to write down something or, or have something to, to, to think through throughout the rest, the rest of the week as you think about applying God's, God's Word in your life. So Joshua 23 and 24, we're coming to the end of the book of Joshua. And, and Joshua is is giving two farewell addresses. The first chapter, he's giving an address to the leaders, giving them some instructions. And then in chapter 24, he's giving an address to all the people. And really, there's a lot of themes that kind of run through both of these chapters. He's really telling them, look, you have a choice about who you're going to serve and and how you're going to walk as you come into the land. And you can choose to, to serve and follow the Lord and to continue to walk in obedience to Him, or you can follow after the nations and serve their gods. And so he's going to be exhorting them to, to follow the Lord. He's going to say in chapter 23, look, if you, if you follow after the Lord, He's going to continue to bless you, and you're going to continue to see Him doing the things that He's already done. But if you choose to follow after the nations and worship their idols, you're not going to receive this blessing of the land. And then in chapter 24, he addresses all the people, and he calls them together, and he begins to t- remind them of all the things that God has done. And if you read the first 
uh, 13 verses or so of Joshua 24, the last chapter in the book. It's all about what God has done, how God took and how God gave and how God rescued and how God delivered and how God placed. It's all these, these words describing the things that God has done. He says, okay, in that context, in the context of all of God's salvific works, now you need to think about what you're going to do. And I'm going to begin in verse 14, and you may stand with me if you're able to this morning uh, as we read God's word. If you need to sit, that is, of course, completely fine. And I'm going to, we're going to, going to look particularly at verses 14 and 15, but I'm going to read a little bit beyond that. Verse 14, so he's just talked about God's, God's work, and how he gave them a land. He says, verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the, the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord, it's Yahweh, our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these, those, those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God, he is a jealous God, he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, and he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, Yahweh, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that, that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. You may be seated. And Heavenly Father, we do, uh, by your grace, ask that you would help us this morning to, to turn from those things that would cause us uh, to experience pain and sorrow and turn to you and serve you with all of our, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. You would give us that ability by, by your enabling grace. Give us the, the will to be obedient to you, we pray in your Son, Jesus' name, amen. If you have to do something hard, it's, it's usually easier to do something hard for a short period of time than to do something hard for a long period of time, right? If you have to do something hard anyway, it's easier to do something hard for a short time than, than a long time. Uh, for example, um, this, this may be shocking to you, uh, but I, I enjoy running more than I enjoy lifting weights. 
I know, hard looking at me, that's hard to believe. Uh, but that, that's the case, right? I'm not much of a weightlifter. In fact, uh, this, this past, uh, past couple months, my son Noah and I have been going every now and then to the gym and, and, and lifting some weights together. And uh, again, shocking, I do not enjoy lifting weights. You, you know, you, you, you take the bar and you begin to do these, these repetitions, reps, as those of us in the weightlifting industry call it. You know, we begin to do these reps, right? And, and the, the first couple, really, they aren't so bad. I mean, it's, it's heavy. But then after rep number three, I start thinking, how long, oh, Lord? Like, how, I don't enjoy, like, how long am I really going to do this? And is, and is eight really all that different than six? When you think about it, and, and so you, you think about, I, I just, I just don't enjoy this. This it's easy a couple times, one or two, but but the sustained effort, not really all that enjoyable. But you don't become a weightlifter by coming in a couple times a week or a couple times a month, and and just kind of doing a couple reps, right? A weightlifter is a person who's had a, a sustained commitment to, to hitting the gym and, and, and lifting weights and lifting all the different areas and, and kind of encompasses a lot of their life in terms of nutrition and, and what they're going to eat and not eat and the sleep that they get and, and, and the types of different muscles they work. A, a carpenter, a, a person who takes a nail and a hammer and hammers a nail into a block of wood is not a carpenter, right? A person who gets jiggy with it at a wedding every now and then. I mean, that's, that's not a dancer, right? That's not a person who's truly a dancer. A person is a, is a weightlifter who's made a lifestyle out of it. A person is a carpenter, is a person who's, who's dedicated their life to perfecting that craft. Now, when it comes to being a Christian, it's, it's, it's different and it's, it's similar. It's different that there, there's no work we have to do to become a Christian. There's no... no uh, standard we have to reach in order to be able to call ourselves a Christian. How does a person become a, a Christian? A person becomes a Christian by, by repenting, by turning from their sins, recognizing the, the worthlessness of, of sin, and, and turning and simply placing their faith in Jesus Christ. That's not a work. It's simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. That's, that's how a person becomes a Christian. But it, it's, it's similar in this way. Just like I, I wouldn't call a person a weightlifter who never lifts weights. I wouldn't call a person a, a carpenter who, who never works with wood. I'd have a hard time calling a person a Christian who doesn't follow Christ, who doesn't serve Christ, who doesn't have a lifestyle marked by a sustained commitment to walk in obedience with the Lord, to, to serve him. And in fact, what happens, we see in Scripture, what happens to a person who has who's been, who's been by God's grace given a new life, what happens to that person is there is a, a desire in a Christian, in a person who's a, a new creation in Christ, there's a desire to serve the Lord. There's a desire to walk in sustained obedience to the Lord. Service of God is a passion that a believer has because of the new heart that God has given them. And in this, this text, really these two chapters, there's a lot of talk about service, and particularly in, in these two verses that we're looking at more closely this morning. The word serve or word like it occurs seven times in these two verses. 
The people are being called to serve the Lord, and Joshua is telling them what it takes to serve the Lord, what it looks like for a person to serve the Lord. As the book concludes, Joshua demands that the people make a decision. Are you really God's people? And if so, you must decide to follow him with your whole being. And that's a decision you and I have to make as well. Well, how do I do it? How do I serve God? How do I live the life of a growing believer? And the answer to continuing in the faith, the answer to continuing in the Christian life and continuing in the faith is the same as the answer of how do I begin the Christian life? In other words, just as I begin the Christian life by repentance, by turning away from sin and turning to God, that's how I continue the Christian life as well. The Christian life is a life of sustained commitment to turning away from sin and turning to God. And the way that this passage describes that is a, is a turning away from idols and choosing to serve the Lord. That's how I continue to walk in the faith. In fact, here's kind of the big idea that I want us to think about this morning. You can write, if you're taking notes, I, I actually have uh, Luke Robinson's uh, notebook this morning, so um, if you see Luke later, make sure he wrote something. That, no, I'm just kidding, Luke. Um, appreciate him letting me steal this when he wasn't looking. Um, you just write down, you know, get rid of idols and devote yourselves to God. That's kind of the big idea that we want to think about this morning. You can kind of, as you take notes, kids, you can kind of think through what the key points are. I'll, I'll kind of help you with some of those and some things you want to remember. You can think, okay, what's a question that I can ask my parents about this sermon or a question I can, you can write down there, maybe ask them, um, hey, have we, have we considered year in giving to the building fund? Something like that. Something, uh, some fun question you can talk about over the dinner table uh, tonight or lunch table this, this afternoon. How do I walk with the Lord? How do I serve him? I need to get rid of idols, and I need to devote myself to God. And so let's, let's talk through each of those, those, those ideas in that main point. How do I serve the God? And, here, and here's the first thing we want to think about. I, I need to reject idols. I need to reject idols. And if you're taking notes, and we said that those, it says, can you write down each of the key points? The first key point here is to reject idols. And you can also write down, there's kind of four things we're going to talk about in terms of what it looks like to reject idols. So look at the text, and let's, let's look at these verses again. And here's what Joshua says, okay? He says, um, fear the Lord, serve him. So that's, that's the command, serve him in sincerity and in all faithfulness. Now, how, how, do we, how do we do that, Joshua? Well, you need to, first of all, you need to reject the idols. He says, put away the gods, and then listen to how he describes the gods. He describes the gods as the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. So there were some gods that you served in Egypt, and you needed to put those away. And then later in verse 15, again, he gives this idea of, of serving the Lord. And he says, look, you either serve God or, or you can make a choice. If you decide not to serve God, you can choose between the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, the, the, oh, that's, again, those gods in Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're going to dwell. So you need to reject your idols. And the idols that you need to reject are the idols that you either worshipped back in Egypt or that your people that you're going to be around are worshipping the land of Canaan. How do, you, how do you reject idols? How do we reject idols then? Well, here's the first thing that we see. If you're going to re reject idols, the first thing you need to do 
is you need to recognize your idols, right? If you're going to reject idols, the first thing you need to do is, is recognize the idols. Now, I, I think that some of the people that Joshua is speaking to, he, to here may not have even really realized that, that idolatry had, had crept into their lives. And Joshua says, look, you can either, you can either serve God or you can have a choice between the gods of Egypt or the gods of the people that you're going to be living around, the, the Amorites, the Canaanites. And really, it doesn't matter which you choose between those two options. They're, they're both worthless. And again, the people of Israel may not have even realized that some of the, the worship practices of the land had, had crept into their understanding of Yahweh and their understanding of how to, to live in obedience to Yahweh. They may have thought, okay, I can, I can do these things to these local deities, and yet I can still uh, worship Yahweh God. And, and Joshua says, look, you, you, you can't. You can either worship God or you can choose among the other deities, but you cannot do both. You need to recognize this is idolatry. Now, now what is idolatry? Idolatry, remember when we were going through the book of James, or the book of, of 1 John, we came to the end of 1 John, and he says, keep yourselves, uh, little children, from idols. We talked about what idolatry is, and, and idolatry is, is anything that, that we allow to take the place of our affections that only God should receive. One person put it this way. It's it's anything that occupies the place due to God. Someone else put it this way. Idolatry is is craving, wanting, enjoying, being satisfied by anything that you treasure more than God. That's that's an idol. The idol is that thing that we love, that that person that we love more than God, that that we want more than God, that thing that we treasure more than God. That's an idol. And Joshua calls the people to, to recognize that idolatry has taken place in their lives. And, and you and I also need to recognize our idols. Now, how do we, how do we recognize our idols? L- let me give you a, a couple of questions that you can ask yourself to help identify the idols. How, how can I identify those things that that I treasure more than God or that I've placed my affection on in, in a way that, that should only be placed upon God? What, how, do, how do I identify what my idols are? And again, if you're uh, taking notes in that little notebook that, the, that you have as the kids, you can, you can kind of write these down maybe in uh, uh, it was the section talking about something I've learned. And these, these are some questions you can ask to help yourself think about the things in this, this passage. So here, here are some questions. Let me give you a couple questions that allow us to think about this, this issue of idolatry from some, some different angles to help us identify our idols. Here's some questions we can ask ourselves. Number one, uh, what, am I, what am I worried or anxious about? What am, I, what am I worried or anxious about? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about treasure he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and, and uh, rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he's, he's talking about what we should rightly treasure. And then he goes into this, this command to not be anxious. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, is not Life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And your heavenly Father feeds them. 
He talks about the, the futility of anxiety. And I say, he says, uh, I, and I tell you, even Solomon, as he's talking about the, the lilies of the valley, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like any one of these, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He talks about not, not worrying. He says, the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Worry, anxiety is, is, is a sign in my life that there's something that I, I treasure more than God. If, if I treasured God rightly, I wouldn't be anxious or worried because I would know that I have the, the fullness of God given to me in, in his son, Jesus Christ. Anxiety, worry, is, as I see anxiety and worry in my life, I can look at that and say, okay, what is that that I'm, I'm worried about? What is it I'm, I'm anxious about? And, and therein I can identify some of my idols. What is it that, that keeps me awake at night? What is it that thing that I'm worried about with my, with my children or with my, my friendship? Or what is it financially that I'm worried about? As I, as I think about those things that keep me up, that cause me, maybe some of you this morning, even as you're sitting here, in, in, this, in this room, there, are, there have been things that have been on your mind that are weighing you, that are, that are causing you to not be able to enjoy the fullness of celebrating with God's people. There's anxiety and, and worry, and that reveals sometimes our idols. I'm worried about my children. I'm, I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about that. And these, it's not that those are not good things to be concerned with. It's not that those are not things that God has called us to address, and yet worry and anxiety reveals idolatry in my life. Another question I can ask myself to identify my idols is, is what makes me angry? What is it that makes me angry? James says in James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this, that your, your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, and, and so you murder. So there's, there's, as, as I look at my life and I see that I get uh, upset about things, what I'm upset about reveals what my passions are. It reveals what's taken place in my heart in terms of what I value, what I, what I treasure. Very often when I'm, I'm upset, I can say, okay, what is it that's, that's causing my heart to feel this way? And, it, and it's that thing that has become an idol. For example, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, changing a, a cartridge and a faucet in our upstairs bathroom, and I spent about half an hour just looking for the right tool, trying, trying to find the right fitting Allen wrench. And uh, Whitney came home, and she could, she could sense that I was a little frustrated, and, and she said, you know, what's wrong? And I said, well, I just wish uh, people wouldn't mess with my tools, Okay. Now, now, what's, what, what's, what am I saying there? I'm, I'm, first of all, you know, it's, it's very general. People. I'm not accusing anyone. I'm just saying people in general. And, and, and Whitney knows what I mean. I, I mean, I, I, she knows that I'm thinking her and the kids have, have gone in and, and played hide-and-seek with my tools, right? Well, even that phrase, my tools. What, what, am, I, what am I saying there? I'm saying... These, these things belong to me, and, and I'm upset that other people have been messing with my things. And I'm also uh, acknowledging that my wife uses the tools a lot more than I do, and I'm a little intimidated by that, right? 
And so as, I, as, I, as we both listen to what I say, say, we realize there's a couple idols that are going on there, right? First of all, there's the idol of ease. I don't want to be changing this cartridge in the faucet. I don't, I don't want my time to be spent doing this project. There's this idol of time and comfort, and I'm not, I'm not getting what I want, and so I'm upset. There's also this idol of, of respect. I want my wife to think that I'm a, a manly person, right? And, and anytime you're having to argue with your wife that the tools belong to you, um, I'm no psychologist, but I don't think that really is all that effective. I don't think you're accomplishing what you desire there, right? As we think about what we're, what we're frustrated by, we, and we can use that word, I'm frustrated. I'm not angry, I'm frustrated. As you think about what really in, in your heart you're, you're angry about, not responding rightly to God about in terms of circumstances, what, what causes that? What is it that I want that's, that's causing me to get angry? That's, that's a way to identify my idols. There's things that you're going to want this this month, over the next few weeks, that you're not going to be able to achieve. Calmness. You're going to want family members to treat you in certain ways. You're going to want to receive certain gifts of, of time or maybe of, of, of actual physical things from your friends or parents, and you're not going to get those things. As you feel, as your heart responds to those things, God's going to be revealing what? Idols. You've got to recognize your idols. A third question what do I spend my time and money on? That's another way to, to recognize your idols. Is God at the center of my life in the way that I, I want him to be? And is it reflected in terms of where I'm spending my time with relationships? Is it reflected in terms of my giving? Is it, ter- is it determined and revealed by the way in which I'm meeting the needs of others? As we see God revealing to us how we spend our time, God is also sometimes revealing to us our idols. A fourth question, two more questions here to think about to recognize our idols. Number four, what am I going to do today or tomorrow or sometime this week even though I know it's wrong? What's something that I'm going to do this this week, maybe even today, that I know is wrong, but, but I, as I think about it right now, I know that I'm going to do it anyway even though I know it's wrong? I've already purposed in my heart that I'm going to, to do this. Maybe it's sexual pleasure being an idol for you, a relationship or pornography, and you say, you know what, there's no way I'm giving up that relationship. There's no way, there's no way I'm giving up viewing those, those images. Maybe I can abandon it for a day or two, but, but I, I can't even contemplate living a life apart from that sin. That is an idol. Or maybe, fifth question here, what will I not do today, even though I, I know that I should? I mean, God is convicting me that I know I need to do something, and right now I know I'm not going to do that, even though I, I know I should. Maybe there's someone I need to ask for forgiveness, or maybe there's someone I need to forgive and release in terms of the bitterness that I feel toward them. And today I'm saying I'm not going to do that, even though I know that I should. There's your idol, right? All those reveal things or attitudes or or people that we have said, I I want to value and treasure this this feeling, this attitude, this person, this thing. I want to treasure and value that more than I desire to treasure Christ. If we are going to serve the Lord, we first need to reject our idols. And if we're going to reject our idols, we first need to recognize our idols. Secondly, 
Here's the next thing we need to do. We need to acknowledge the worthlessness of idols. We need to acknowledge that our idols are absolutely worthless. Look at what happens in chapter 24 here of of Joshua. We're in verses 14 and, and 15, but as you look earlier, notice all that it says about what God has done here. He talks about his, his work, and, and Joshua says, as, he, as he's telling them what, what God has done, uh, using, using God's words, he says, I, 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 I took your father Abraham, verse 3, I, I gave him Isaac, to Isaac, I gave Jacob. All throughout these, these verses, you see words describing God's action, what he was able to do, and the constant drumbeat of Scripture is that idols are, are completely worthless because they are are powerless. 1 Corinthians 12, 22, Paul writes, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, idols that couldn't, couldn't speak to you, couldn't reveal what they were able to, to do for you. Isaiah 44, there's this beautiful contrast between what God is able to do and what idols are able to do. God is speaking and he says, look, I, I'm the first and the last. Besides me, there's no God. No one's like me. I, I I know not any other God like me. There's, there's no rock. I know not any. And then he contrasts who God is with what idols are. And he gives this, this ludicrous process by which idols are fashioned. He says, idols, all who fashion idols are nothing. The things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. And he talks about the, the foolishness of how a person tries to, to craft this idol he talks about how a, a, a person takes a part of what he, what he uh, uh, fashions and, and creates it into an idol. He takes the other wood and he, he burns in the fire. And it says at the end of, of verse 19, No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it in an abomin- into an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes a deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? So we need to recognize what our idols are if we're going to reject them. And we need to acknowledge that they're worthless. They're, they're worthless because they're, they're powerless, Scripture tells us. And what does it mean that our idols are powerless? The fact that our idols are powerless means that our idols cannot bring us joy. The joy that we think they'll bring us, the joy that they promise. In Acts chapter 7, verse 41, Stephen is is talking as he gives his defense, as he's getting ready to be stoned, and he talks about how the people of Israel made a calf in those days. They offered a sacrifice to the idols, and and they were rejoicing in the works of their hands. In other words, as we think about idols, we recognize, okay, I, I, I worship these idols, and I believe that these idols are a means to joy. I believe that if I en- engage in worshiping my idols and engage in setting my heart on these idols, eventually they will bring me joy. Maybe it's my, maybe it's my career, maybe it's my financial security, maybe it's this relationship, maybe it's my children. Whatever idol it is, I believe if I just invest in this enough, if I just experience enough uh, success in this area, I'm going to receive joy from this idol. 
And yet, what is an idol? It's, it's powerless. And what does it mean that it's powerless? A powerless thing cannot provide the joy that we desire. Our idols are worthless, but we pursue them anyway. And we keep switching the idols out, right? Maybe we're young and we think, okay, I'm young in my career. I'm going to pursue this career. And maybe this career is going to, to give me the joy that I, I long for. And so we, we sacrifice so much and we come to a point where we recognize, okay, this, this career isn't doing it for me. Maybe it's a relationship. It's, it's our spouse. We think, okay, I, I'm going to, to, to place all my joy in this person. And as I invest in this, this, this person, maybe it's a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend that I hope will become my spouse someday, I'm, I'm going to, to invest in them. And as I, as I experience this relationship, then eventually they're going to respond to me in such a way that fulfills my desire and I will experience joy. And that doesn't, that doesn't cut it either. And so, well, maybe it's children. Maybe my children will bring me the joy that I so desperately desire. And so we invest in our, in our children. We think, okay, I, my, my kids are going to, to live in such a way in which they, they rise up every morning and talk about how wonderful I am, right? Whitney and I were talking about this this past week, how excited we are. You know, our, uh, our, our daughter's back home. Our kids are all going to be here for Christmas. And Whitney said, well, you know what? It's, it's not always going to be like this. And I said, excuse me? What? What do you mean? And she said, well, well someday, you know, they're going to have families and they're going to have to split Christmas and I, Wait, no, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be the, the fun in-laws. Like, everyone's going to be on Christmas morning at, at the Bennett house. And, and she said, just think about what we did to our parents. And I shook my head in sadness, right? right? No, that, that's, that's, that's a good thing. It's, it's good because our children cannot exist for our glory. My, my wife can't exist for my glory. My career can't exist for my glory. I exist for God's glory. And good things like a career, good things like kids, good things like a spouse can only bring joy if we love God first and foremost. And as we love God, it's only in the context of worshiping and loving God that other things have any hope of bringing us joy because only God can bring us joy. Idols are absolutely worthless. They're powerless. They cannot bring us joy. Which brings us to the third thing. As we think about idols, we need to refuse to serve them. We refuse to serve them. We keep thinking there's going to be some joy found in our idols. Maybe there was some temporary joy we found, a rush of adrenaline when we got a promotion or, or won that game, pride in our accomplishment, pleasure in that relationship, the thrill of viewing images you knew you shouldn't as you looked at pornography, but it was fleeting. And now you're, you're realizing intellectually, okay, these things are worthless, and that's God's grace that allows us to recognize that. And so we say, okay, I refuse to serve them. Now there's a decision of my will, by God's grace, a decision of my will to abandon idolatry. As we looked at uh, the end of 1 John, we talked about how we get rid of idols both ruthlessly, constantly, and passionately. 
we get rid of idols ruthlessly. We're willing to, to take radical steps to, to remove ourselves from the worship of our idols. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, if your, your right arm causes you to stumble, you cast it off. And that's not talking about literal amputations that we're going to start at Bethany Community Church. It's talking about having a, a group of people committed to the glory of God, willing to do radical things to remove themselves from their worship of their idols. I'm willing to put accountability in place in my life. I'm, I'm willing to be able to, 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 to commit to reading God's word. I'm willing to remove things from my life that are distracting me. I'm willing to, to make radical changes in my finances because I, I want to ruthlessly refuse to serve idols. It's, it's constantly, it's, it's lifelong, this lifelong process. It's passionately, passionately removing the idols from my life. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says in in verse 6, he's talking about how the Thessalonians uh, placed their faith in Christ, became Christians. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we had We had no need to say anything. For they themselves, that's that's the people that you live among, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and and they're reporting how you turned, you know what he says here? You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. One of the key marks that a person is is truly a Christian is is in their passionate desire to turn from idols and to turn to serve the living and true God. The people in Thessalonica so, okay, I, I, want, I want to serve the living and true God, and that means no longer engaging in the idolatry of, of my culture. It's, it's a hard thing. It's why it's so important, back to that, that first point we're thinking about, to, to recognize our idols, because we live in a culture in which everyone around us is idolatrous. E- even other believers are idolatrous. I was reading a study about a, reading an article about a study and they showed people a fish tank with some fish in it. And there were lots of small fish and then one big fish. And they asked Westerners you know, to kind of, what, what do you think about when you, you see that, that, that big fish? And people who are Westerners thought, man, that, that's, the, that's the good fish. That's the big fish. That's kind of the fish I would want to be. The, then they asked people from, from Eastern cultures, what, what do you think about that big fish? And they said, I, I feel sorry for that fish. I, I feel sorry that he's, he's excluded from the group. You know, he's, he's different from everyone else. The, the point is, we're, we're so shaped by our culture in terms of what we're going to value and what we're going to want and what's, what's preferable to, to this option versus this option. And yet, no matter what culture we're in, no matter what people we're around, what we have to constantly realize is we are surrounded by idolaters, and we ourselves 
are idolaters. The things we value are things we value instead of rightly valuing God. We must, as we recognize our idols, acknowledge their worthlessness and refuse to serve them. But notice this. In in Thessalonica, it's not just these Thessalonians saying, okay, I'm going to stop serving idols and now I'm going to change. They, They turn from idols to God. You can't just stop worshiping. You're always going to worship something. So that brings us to the second point I want us to think about. Again, if you're taking notes, here's, here's point number two. Choose to serve God. Choose to serve God. The choice that people make here to serve God is not done in isolation. God, God has allowed them to come to this point by his, his sovereign grace. He's, he's chosen them first. He's, he's loved them first. He's allowed them to come into relationship with him first. And now we see that God, through Joshua, calls on the people to choose. Okay, So you need to, to choose what you're going to do. As I brought you to this point, I've enabled, my enabling grace has allowed you to have this ability to choose. Now, now what are you going to do? By God's grace, he's, he's transformed those of us who are believers, and so we have this, this ability, by his enabling grace, to choose to serve him. How do we do that? A couple things here. One, we meditate on God and his works. As we choose to serve the living God, we, we, one, we, we meditate on him and his works. Again, you look at these first few verses in chapter 24, and the, the words that are used here regard the activity of God. He, he took, he gave, he led, he put, he delivered, he sent, he brought. These are all the, the actions of a sovereign God allowing them to come to this point. And now, part of his sovereign work is allowing us to grasp what he's done and to meditate on it and, and to think about it. How do we choose to serve God? We, we meditate on him. We think about the things that he's done. As we reject the things that are worthless, we think about the things that God has done that reveal to us that he is a sovereign, saving God. And secondly, we treasure and trust in Christ. All the things that take place in Joshua, all the things that took place in Exodus that showed God's saving work pointed us to the person of Jesus Christ. These are all things that that foreshadow Christ. All the salvific works simply point us to the treasure that is Christ. And apart from Christ, we we cannot be obedient. In fact, look at verse 19. And the people said, we're going to follow God. And Joshua says, "You're you're not able to. You don't have the ability, apart from God being gracious to you, you do not have the ability to walk in obedience to God. And Indeed, uh, spoiler alert, as we go into the book of Judges, they are not going to follow the Lord, are they? Continuing to point us to the need for a Savior. And then the third thing we do is we choose to serve the Lord. We consider the cost of obedience. There's this back and forth that takes place with, with Joshua and the people. And he says, okay, serve the Lord. And they say, okay, we will. Uh, we, of course we're going to serve the Lord. And he says, you're not able to. No, no, we'll do it. And he says, okay, you're witnesses. Okay, we're witnesses. There's this, there's this, this, uh, this desire that Joshua has to help the people see, okay, this is, this is not just this, we're standing here right now and we'll, we'll say we're going to do this. It's, it's easy to do something for a short period of time that's hard or relatively easy. It's hard to do something for a long period of time that's hard, that's difficult. It requires sustained obedience. And apart from the work of Jesus Christ in our life, we do not have the ability to do so. 
And so finally, we must devote ourselves to God. There's a covenant that the people enter into here, and our our desire to commit ourselves to God, to, to reckon ourselves dead to sin but alive to Christ, means that we're committing to make Christ our, our, our lifelong treasure. We must, if we're going to serve God, we must get rid of idols and devote ourselves to God. I want us to prepare our hearts now to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I want you to think through those, those questions that, that I asked you earlier to help you recognize your idols as we prepare, prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask, in fact, the, the men to come forward and begin to, to get ready to pass out the elements. And, and as they do so, think about these questions again. What am I worried about this morning? What am I worried about? What am I anxious for? What am I angry and, 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 and concerned about? What am I spending my time on? What am I unwilling to do that I know that God has called me to do? Hopefully, as, as we've talked this morning, God has, in His grace, revealed idols to you. And now, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? As, as a community of faith, we're saying our, our, our treasure is Jesus Christ. We recognize that apart from the work of God, in Christ, we would not have the ability to be in relationship with God. It's, it's the work of Christ on the cross that brings us in relationship with God. That is our treasure. There is nothing greater that we could ever imagine than the gift of salvation that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we partake of the Lord's Supper together this morning, as we have some time here of contemplation, would you, with me, commit to the Lord this morning, saying, okay, God, as, as you revealed the idols of my heart to you, as you reveal the idols of my heart to me this morning, I'm turning from those things by your grace. As you bring, as God brings to mind your, maybe your love of, of, of money, you say, okay, I, Father, I, I see that Christ is a greater treasure than my, my financial security. Maybe there's a relationship that you're in right now that is, that is not a godly relationship, and God brings that relationship to your mind this morning. Say, okay, God, I, I recognize that your son is a greater treasure than this relationship, and I'm, I'm rejecting the idol of this relationship, and I'm, I'm choosing to serve you by your grace. I'm going to pray that God reveals that to me, that God would reveal that to you, uh, the different idols of our hearts as we prepare, prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper and, and meditate on the great treasure that's Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, we do in your grace ask that you would reveal these things to us. We pray that in your grace you reveal that the treasure that is your son, that we would first and foremost meditate upon the salvific work that you have done throughout history and particularly in, in culminating the, the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Father, we recognize this morning there is no greater treasure than your son, Christ. And as you in your grace reveal idols to us this morning, we reject them, we turn from them, we no longer see them as worthy, we see them as worthless, and we see and behold the beauty of your Son and trust in him instead of our idols. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. If you would prepare to partake of the bread with me, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night when he was betrayed took the bread and given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you'd prepare to partake of the cup with me, 
In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we proclaim the death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ until he returns. Let's, let's pray. Father, we do turn from our idols this morning. We recognize them as worthless. We acknowledge them as worthless. And we see the beauty of your son, Jesus. Help us as you've revealed things to us this morning that are our idols. Help us to follow you in obedience and continue to sustain lifelong commitment bearing the name of your son, Jesus, as Christians. We pray this in his name. Amen.